Hey there, and welcome to Truth Be Told, a theology and apologetics podcast not claiming to have all of the answers, but created to analytically look at the truth contained in the Bible and encourage critical thinking on how to apply that truth to our lives. I'm Micah Gunn, and I appreciate you listening in. No matter your level of understanding or knowledge, I sincerely hope and pray that you find these words edifying, informative, and beneficial. So let's get started. Oftentimes in church, I'll hear messages, and I'm sure you've heard them too, where the speaker will begin by saying one word or introducing one word as the main topic of the message for the day. And sometimes the overall point is to understand the word better. Sometimes the overall point is to draw some theological conclusions based on where the word's found in the Bible or how often it's found in the Bible. But inevitably, the speaker will do a quick Google search and present the information to you that this word is used however many times in the Bible. And I'm not saying that this is a bad thing to look at. Particularly when you're doing a word study, I think it can be somewhat beneficial to see that a concept is found many times throughout Scripture. But I just think it's sometimes carried too far. I personally would rather see in how many different contexts is this word found in. But that's kind of difficult because I don't think any Bible software has a context setting. So, oh well. But the problem as I see it when giving a message of this type or with this format is that often the point of the presenter when giving this statistic is to give some sort of testimonial as to why the subject they chose is important. So essentially it's that the greater amount of times it's found in the Bible, the greater significance they imply that it has. Now, there's a case to be made for this in the sense that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and the fact that God inspired his writers to include this topic so often might be significant. But the problem is that a lot isn't taken into consideration when presenting this information or even finding this information. For example, is it found that many times in English translations alone or in equivalent Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic words? Is it a favorite term of one author, or is it something that transcends writers, times, and circumstances? And this is why I say I'd rather know how many different contexts the word is found in, because that scatters it across the Bible and across languages, across time, circumstances. I think this um, is a little bit more relevant and might be more indicative of a certain level of importance or at least importance in the way that the speaker is trying to highlight it. Because I think we'll see as we go along this study, frequency of use does not always indicate level of importance. Now, I'd like to go over one of the oversights or things that we might not think of when using statistics like this to say, this word is found this many times in the Bible. And I want to go over this to show you why it's important and why it can be a problem. And that is preference of word choice by a certain author. Now, a lot of work is done by textual critics to give educated theories on authorship of certain books and manuscripts, and one way in which they do this is by looking at writing style. Now, sometimes this can be done to the detriment of the Bible, I think. For example, some will claim that the Pentateuch must not have been written by Moses because the writing style changes so drastically throughout. Some will say that uh, Colossians was not written by Paul because the writing style is slightly different than he uses in other epistles. And I think to draw huge conclusions based on writing style is probably a mistake, simply because, well, like for one, writing styles can change over time, and two, 
many of these authors were using scribes and admit to it freely who might have had their own personality and writing that shows through as they worked on these letters with the authors themselves. Just as a general example, and I don't think this is one that textual critics would actually use, but just as an example to kind of highlight what I'm talking about, in some of Paul's epistles, the scribes themselves will actually greet the brethren that the epistle is directed to. Now, it doesn't happen in all of Paul's letters, but in some of them, presumably because they knew the brethren or the brethren knew the scribe themselves. But a textual critic could look at this and say, because this doesn't happen in all of Paul's epistles, maybe this one isn't an authentic Pauline letter. And I, like I said, I don't think they would make that error just because they're looking at a lot more than just one fact. But you can see what I mean by drawing huge conclusions based on writing style when sometimes the circumstance of the writing changes, um, even just in who's writing the letter physically. But even despite all of this, there is something familiar about certain authors of the Bible. And to me, this is really cool. You can read about Peter through the Gospels, and then you read his epistles, and you see glimpses of his old self, as well as indications of his change after receiving the Holy Spirit. And there's this consistency of character throughout. To me, that's an awesome apologetic, um, where you can see the same person that claims to have written this letter in just the very personality of who he's described as in the book of Peter. And that would be a really hard thing for a copycat to try and mimic. Uh, but this is seen with a lot of authors in the Bible, and it can be especially prevalent in their choice of words or their favorite phrases to describe concepts. And this is rarely something taken into account when we hear someone say, such and such a word was used however many times in the Bible. Because a certain word could be used a certain amount of times, maybe even a lot of times in the Bible, but it's only by one person because they favor that word or that phrase. Now, this does not make the word less important by any means, but I would argue that perhaps it's not as elevated as a word used to the same amount of times, maybe throughout languages and authors and contexts, or then he, even some things, how do you measure? Like if Paul says it 20 times and Jesus says it one time, does that mean it's more or less important? Or if Peter says it five times and Paul says it 30 times, whose words mean more? Whose words weigh more in the context of looking at the inspired word of God? And I think these are the questions that aren't really asked in these forms of messages, but I also think they're questions that we might not have answers for because it is the Bible. It is the inspired word of God, and it's hard to weigh it out and say this means more than this, especially based on something like frequency of use. So I'm not trying to say here's a better way to do it. I'm just saying take caution when you do this because there's a lot to consider that we might not even be able to answer when dealing with the Bible as a whole. Now, to emphasize this point, that frequency of use does not always indicate level of importance. There's a term borrowed from the Greek that I want to go over with you today. Literary analysts use this word to describe words that are only found once. And this could be once in a certain work. It could be across a collection of works or even ever in any literary work to our knowledge. And this term is the title of our episode today, Hapax Legomena or legomenon, depending on if you're talking about a singular or plural. But this word literally means being said once. Shakespeare, as an example, one of the master inventors of words, is estimated to have thousands of these hapax legomena, as he has about 6,500 words he only uses once throughout all of his plays. And the Bible itself contains many, many examples of this as well. 
But I hope to emphasize as we go through some examples that just because these words are only used once does not mean that they're less important than the ones used many, many times throughout the Bible. I'd like to start by reading a quote for you from studylight.org, and this is a section titled Bible Encyclopedias, the 1901 Jewish Encyclopedia. And it says, there are about 1,500 examples of these in the Old Testament, but only 400 are strictly hapax legomena. Either they're absolutely new coinages of roots or cannot be derived in their formation or in their specific meaning from other occurring stems. The remaining 1,100, while appearing only once as a form, can easily be connected with other existing words, as for instance, and then it gives examples like Job 17.9, Zechariah 12.5, etc., etc. It says these would obviously refer to the verbs which are of frequent occurrence in the Bible. So, even so, 400 of these in the Old Testament, and I know you're thinking 400 words in the Old Testament only used once, that doesn't seem like that many. But I challenge you to ask yourself, if you had to go through the Old Testament and say which 400 words don't mean anything, and you had to just take them all out, I think you would be hard-pressed to do it because that is the implication. When you say this word is used this many times and so it must be more important, you're saying this word's only used once, it must be less important. Well, you still can't remove it. They're still very much important in the context of the Old Testament. Um, This site actually breaks down all of them uh, by book in the Old Testament and will tell you how many are in each one. So, In Genesis, there are 14 absolute hapax legomena. Exodus, there are 6. Leviticus, 20. Numbers, 8. Deuteronomy, 20. So a lot of words. And then even it gets up in like Isaiah, there's 60. Jeremiah, 19. Ezekiel, 30. So a lot of words uh, in each section of the Bible, in each chapter. And I just want to read a list of them. And then I'll go through some of those verses individually to show you it, it would be really, really difficult to just take that word right out of the Bible. Um, for example, in Genesis 6.14, the word gopher wood only appears once in the entire Bible. We all know the ark was made of gopher wood, and it is found nowhere else in the Bible. In the book of Jeremiah, we have a word that is closely associated with being astounded, or we have one closely associated with anguish, shackles, If any of you have ever looked at a concordance, you'll notice that underneath the Hebrew or Greek word, you'll have several English words to kind of give you different connotations or different uses that it might have, because we might not have a match for match, uh, word for word, English to Hebrew or English to Greek, because Hebrew, a Hebrew word might have a lot of nuance to it that we can't capture with just one English word. I'd like to kind of reverse engineer this a little bit to show you the importance of what I'm talking about. I'm going to read a verse, and I want you to think about which word you would take out of that verse, which word you think it could do without, which word that got inspired to be written down do you think is less important than the rest of the words. And I think you'll find that there isn't one that's less important than the rest of the words. You need all of them in that context to make sense of what's being talked about. So in Ezekiel 13 verse 10, It says here concerning false prophets, Indeed, because they have seduced my people, saying peace when there is no peace. So this is God pronouncing a judgment on false prophets, and they have said peace when there is no peace, and led his people astray. So which of those words means less in the context of that verse? I would say none. But the hapax legomenon of that verse is seduced or lead astray. 
And that Hebrew word with all of its nuanced meaning is found nowhere else in the entirety of the Old Testament or the entirety of the Bible. Even if you try to translate it into Greek, there isn't a matching word. That is a very specific kind of leading astray, a very specific kind of seduction that's being talked about in Ezekiel 13 verse 10. And we can't say that it has less significance just because it's found once. Now, I think you generally understand the point of what I'm talking about here, that you can't judge level of importance of a word based on how often it occurs in the Bible. So I won't go through the entire New Testament and a bunch of lists of those words, but I think it's important that I mention there are 686 hapax legomena in the New Testament. Several of those are within Jesus' own words. And if that doesn't drive the nail home in understanding that frequency of occurrence does not always equate to level of importance, I'm not really sure what will. But like I said, 686 in the New Testament alone, 400 in the Old Testament. And I don't know about you, but I am not confident enough in myself and what I know to say that 1,086 words of our Bible just don't really matter or aren't very important. And I think unintentionally, that's what some people can do when they infer that a certain word has more importance because it's found more often in the Bible. Now, again, I'm not saying never do a word study. I'm not saying it's not important to know that a word appears a lot or how often or in different contexts. That can all be good information. But I would strongly caution against the inference, both from speakers and listeners, that how often a word is used is a direct correlation to the importance within the whole biblical narrative. I'd like to turn to one last verse, and it's one that everyone's very familiar with. Again, this is not an accusatory thing. I don't think anyone does this intentionally. I just think it's something that we can do unintentionally that we should maybe be cautious of in the future. But in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, a very familiar scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, for every good work. All scripture, that word means each, every, any, all, the whole, all things, collectively or individually, all scripture. I hope this is a call for all of us to be more mindful in our speaking and our hearing and our studying, not to value certain words in the Bible over others, not to value certain concepts over others, but to recognize that the Bible works as a complete whole to edify all those who read it, and to strengthen his people and his church. Thank you guys very much for listening in. I really do appreciate it. I've never asked for this before, but if you're looking for a way to support Truth Be Told, leaving a rating on this podcast would really, really be helpful. Sharing with your friends as well is always helpful. And just you listening is also a huge benefit to this work. So thank you all again for tuning in, whether this is the first time listening or you've been with us since the beginning. I really do appreciate each individual person that tunes in. So until next time, keep on reading your Bibles, keep on thinking critically about them, and keep on applying the truths that we learn here to your lives. Have a great day, everybody.